Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. Our spotlight episodes take a quick look into core design concepts and questions. If you are new to human design, these can offer insight into the foundation of the system. And if you are more experienced or have gotten lost in the details, these are reminders of what is simple and essential. Thank you for joining me, Amy Lee, and my co-host, John Cole. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Today, our topic is Taoist philosophy and human design. What do they have in common? And how can we look at the human design system through the lens of the Taoist perspective and see what do we learn from that? How does it serve us? And how does it relate to the different elements of design? So John is a longtime martial artist and has a lot of connection to that particular philosophy. And you've been seeing a lot about this recently. John, do you want to say what it is you've been seeing? I tend to look at Taoism as a concept, as a certain attunement to the natural order of things with this idea of aligning with nature and its rhythms and timing and cycle in a way that we remain balanced with the larger context of nature, you could say with like the seasons, just staying in balance with the world as it is, as opposed to trying to manipulate it or dominate it or control it. It it seems like it's this way of aligning with the natural order of things. And as it relates to human design, I feel like there's a certain resonance there with human design as a system. We can look at, for example, the body graph or the, the mandala, the wheel, and see that there is the inclusion of the hexagrams that come from the, the I Ching, the Chinese Book of Change. A lot of people consider that, as, as I understand it, one of the main Taoist source texts. And so it, there's an obvious connection there, but I think it's actually more than that. I think that, there, that human design may be predominantly a Taoist system or closer to the Taoist philosophy than any of, of these other traditional philosophies. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely the orientation in human design that says there is nothing wrong with you as you are. Your nature and what you are is perfect. If it's not functioning well, or if it doesn't feel good, or if it's not thriving or surviving, then that's more a sign that the nature is being distorted in some way or is not being nurtured or developed in the way that's healthy and natural. One of the things that occurs to me is this sense that in Taoist philosophy that everything has its place. Yes. And so there's no good or bad or right or wrong. There is no better, and similarly in human design, there's no better design. It's just that each design is unique and each design is, is made for specific context and for specific interactions. And where we get confused is when our minds get involved and we think we're supposed to be something that we're not or we think we're supposed to be like something else and then we lose touch with our natural flow we lose touch with our life force energy we lose touch with our sense of right place right time right context right but everything is perfect as it is and and everything serves a purpose a very specific purpose and i think what you're pointing to is this contrast between more and enough that's something that comes through in human design where mm-hmm. people think like, well, if, if I 
experiment with this or if I try on this system or this knowledge or I go further with it, I'm going to get something or I'm going to I'm going to get the life that I want or I'm going to become rich or I'm going to get the material things that I want. I don't think it's that's what any of this is about. I don't think that that promise actually exists in, in human design. And it sets up this disparity in the world where you see things that are just way out of balance. You've got people who have so much and people who have so little. What I see in human design is it's like, well, it's not really about that. It's not about necessarily making money or getting rich or having your dream life. Although those things may happen, they're not excluded from the possibility if that's what your life is about, but you get your life, you get enough, you will survive. If you're working with life, you will be provided for, you will be taken care of on a basic level. That just may look like less from a certain point of view or different than what we're holding coming in in terms of what we think this is about. For example, you hear about the type signatures, like projectors and success as uh, something that projectors are here for. But does that success mean that I'm gonna make millions or have a mansion or a Tesla? Or does it mean that you are recognized as who you are and you have the life that you're here to have in a way that's not compromising to you? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to look at from that point of view of, of more, 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 more versus having what you're here for. Mm -hmm. And that to me looks like a more natural balance in terms of the larger, either our larger society or collective or totality, where everyone's got enough or they've got what they need and what they're here for rather than what I see going on and, you know, out in the world so much, which is just this endless quest for more. Yeah. Whether it's more money, more attention, more energy, more accomplishment could be in in all kinds of realms. I think it's interesting to look at what is the more compensating for? Why would we be driven to need so much more than is actually necessary? And when I think about that, it seems like if we come into the world with a particular nature, it's designed to be recognized and nurtured for what it is. And yet for most of us, we come in and we're pretty quickly expected to adhere to all kinds of things and become all kinds of things and behave in all kinds of ways that aren't actually natural to us. Mm -hmm. So we take on all of this conditioning and we take on a lot of adaptive strategies and imitating behaviors in order to survive socially and sometimes physically in the world. And then I think that can set up something where we start to think that more is going to compensate for whatever pain or distortion we feel. So if you take a projector, for example, like you said, who's here for success, but for many projectors, they haven't been respected for their intelligence. They haven't been invited for their awareness. They've learned to perform and overdo in order to try to get attention. And then I think that can set up a dynamic where then you feel like, well, I need a lot of money or I need a lot of a certain kind of attention or a certain kind of accomplishment in order to compensate for the fact that I actually don't feel so good or successful or natural in just being myself. So maybe if I have the newest this or that, or maybe if I have a million followers, or maybe if I 
achieve some particular thing, then that's going to make up for the fact that at a core level, I don't actually feel welcome and wanted in this world, which is really, if you get really far underneath it all, those are often some of the core beliefs that many of us have been conditioned with. Right. Or the conclusions that we've come to based on the conditioning that we've experienced. It seems like what you're describing is this filling a hole that these pursuits or this needing more or wanting more or wanting the life that someone else has that looks attractive or maybe believing that this is what we're all entitled to on some level is a compensation mechanism for essentially a life unlived as ourselves. Mm -hmm. What's interesting too is we can see examples of people who go out there and they achieve a certain level of material success and then they later realize that it's actually not what they thought it would be. It didn't fill that hole or give them the thing that they thought they were going to get out of that. And then they're trapped in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're pointing to something really important, like what is the fundamental issue? Mm-hmm. Why, why does that set up? What are we actually going for or trying to achieve in, in this dynamic? Mm-hmm. I think that's what's really helpful about working with human design is a big part of it if you're actually going to really experiment with it and work with it is that you can use it to help look at your own motivations. So as you feel drawn to act on certain things or to go after certain things, you can pause and just question, where is this drive coming from? What is motivating me now? If you look at the teachings going through each of the centers on a really simple, basic level, you can see all of these different motivations that make it really clear that some of them are just sort of bottomless pits. And no matter what you achieve, if it's motivated by trying to compensate for some kind of distortion or trying to fill some kind of hole, it never actually really works. It becomes something that enslaves us. You're talking about the not-self themes of the open centers, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like trying to prove your worth or value or mm-hmm. holding on to things from some false sense of security or trying to achieve certainty or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah or trying to get attention trying to get attention mm-hmm. so then it's interesting to think about what it's like if if we're experiencing discomfort in our lives or if we feel uncomfortable in our own skin or if we just feel unhappy or feel like I mean, part of the beauty of being able to live according to your design is that you'll discover that you can actually survive and do okay in the world through just being yourself in a natural way. So that what comes most naturally to you is actually exactly what's required by the people you're around and the places you find yourself in. Right. It's almost too obvious, like all of this. It's, it's like, way too simple. We make it simple. so hard. Yeah. We make it so hard. And which is why I think sometimes when we're not happy with our lives or it feels like something's off or it feels like something's wrong, we can feel like, oh, well, I need to get more something mm-hmm. to deal with that. But if you look at systems like human design or Taoist philosophy or many spiritual teachings, a lot of what they'll point to is to strip things down, actually. Take things away. Right. <laughs> you need yet less things, fewer <laughs> things. You actually may need less attention, less focus from others, less material responsibility and accumulation, less intellectual stimulation and knowledge accumulation, less goal-oriented pursuing of all kinds of things. 
and maybe that's why there's such a big movement toward mindfulness and Buddhism and minimalism, these minimalism all these things that are moving people toward stripping things down and getting down to the essential. I mean, that's that's the core of it really is, right? To get to the essential nature of things. Right. Going back to this larger perspective that could be looked at through the lens of Taoism, there's a greater alignment with the natural order of things. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we could say is, or I've heard said is like, well, everything is the Tao. Even in a sense, the imbalances are the Tao, or it's not just the organic plant matter or rocks or mountains or what we would consider nature, but also the skyscrapers or the machines and the technology is mm-hmm. all still part of this natural balance. But when we look out into society, we see that there are these huge discrepancies. It's hard for me not to look at this like we're heading back into a time where these are gonna become more important questions. How much do we actually need? How much is enough? What about the other people on this planet? Do they have enough? Or not that any one of us is necessarily gonna solve that or that's our personal agenda, but if, if we can come into a greater sense of alignment in our life and stop seeking more or filling up these holes or what we perceive as missing in our life in attune to what's actually there for us mm-hmm. and what we're actually here for, it seems a better direction for all of us. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what would the world look like if each person were able to just live according to what is most natural to them and let that serve its natural function. And if each person were doing that, that, in some ways, is what the Tao says we're designed to be, right? Is a naturally functioning ecosystem. And I think the other thing about that that's so beautiful is that there's no morality in it. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at like a rainforest and all the different creatures and plants and all the different kind of life and rocks and dirt and everything that's there, you can't really say that one is bad and one is good. Right. Like, it's good to be a tree and it's bad to be a berry or something, or it's good to be this animal not that animal it's like no actually the point is that in nature everything serves its purpose and the same in design it's the this and that it's the this and that rather than the good and bad the right and wrong and that's probably something that i think is one of the most painful afflictions we have in a way is outer morality i think some people think well if we don't have a consensus about what's good and bad as people then you know, people are going to be selfish or treat each other horribly or take advantage or something like as if we need an outer sense of morality because we can't trust the goodness of our own nature. Maybe in the past it was necessary to some degree. You look at some of these traditional religions that come in and they bring in this sense of morality as essentially crowd control, mm-hmm. population control. Mm-hmm. But we're now in a nine-centered world living in these nine-centered bodies or vehicles and it does seem like something else is needed, that there, there, there's greater sophistication or there are greater potential or possibilities in this transitional phase that we're in. And any sense of morality is in a way limited or maybe doesn't quite hold up in the world that we're in and moving into. Right, and part of the problem with it seems to be what you, the way that you talked about the I Ching as the Book of Changes. The whole point of it is that life is constantly emerging, constantly evolving, constantly changing. If you have a certain set of moral tenets that everyone is supposed to adhere to, it cuts 
people off from their natural present awareness of what's needed, what's appropriate, what's natural in any given moment, in any given context. And that's, I think, when we lose touch with our own inner authority, with our own inner sense of morality, which is not even necessarily like a morality. I think it's more like an, an inner sense of what's correct for us yeah. in this moment and for the people around me, given what I'm aware of right here, right now, in the midst of things that are rapidly changing. If there's an outer authority or outer rule or outer morality that we're adhering to, I do think it can serve a purpose in, in certain contexts or in certain communities or at certain times. But it seems like now, especially, we're living in a time when I would feel much safer if the people that I am around are embodied and aware and present, paying attention, listening to the intelligence in their bodies and communicating clearly. I'd feel much safer around a group of people like that who are all different but all connected to their own inner nature rather than a group of people that were all believing in the same sense of right and wrong, good and bad. It feels yeah. much safer to me. Absolutely. It's almost like a return to something, you know, return mm -hmm. to our natural state and living in balance or in accordance with nature, with yeah. the natural order of things. Yeah. And that's what it seems like we've lost in our quest to control and dominate everything. Yes, we've been able to dominate nature and to shelter ourselves from all kinds of natural events and accumulate things and create things that make our lives easier. I think part of what we've lost is the sense of trust and connection to life as it is. Yeah. And then we take on this pressure of believing that we have to control and manipulate everything which is an unfortunate responsibility, I think, for any of us. It's actually a burden that is not that fun or that natural to most people. And then we don't remember what are the cycles. We're not attuned to paying attention to what is the energy that's here right now and what's needed and what's the season and what context am I in and all of that. Yeah. It strikes me as being heavily mind-based, a heavily mind-based orientation to things. And I would expect that that is coming from what you might call the seven-centered hangover from where we were at a past stage of human development, where that type of conceptual, rational, mental awareness and orientation to life was needed or was a part of our development. Mm -hmm. But we, if we stay stuck in that and we never move beyond that when we have, again, we're in a different time, we're in a different order of things, we have these evolved bodies and vehicles that we're moving through life in, but we're still functioning back in this mode of trying to control life, nature, others through the mind, well, this is what we end up with. Mm -hmm. And maybe in itself, there, there's a natural balance and order of things there where yeah. like, well, if you do this, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it gets a little bit circular. But then again, that's that's what we're working with. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe someone might say, well, that's also the Tao. Yeah, that's all part of it. So for those of you who may not know, part of what 
the human design knowledge brought was an awareness that we evolved from being seven-centered, strategic, mentally focused beings who were here to control and manipulate, dominate, play with, and strategize in the material world to this time where we are now as nine-centered beings where we're actually moving toward a much more receptive way of being. And one of the gifts of human design is really to be able to simplify, to be able to see clearly and simply what is natural to each of us as individuals and what isn't. And although it can be a very complex intellectual system and deep knowledge base, there are actually some very simple aspects of each individual's nature that we can learn about through design and then work with. You know, you can immediately go out and play with it and experiment with it and see what happens. And in many ways, it can make life a very simple practice of just being present and grounded in our own nature. It's actually a much easier way to live in the end. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel. Thank you.